Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the podcast show where I interview the most inspirational, thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Shane Farrell. Now, Shane is the CEO for Ipsos Europe and the chairman of Ipsos Global Tracking Business. Shane has had a wealth of experience across a number of decades from running and growing his own very successful business, F-squared Research, which had market research agencies in Europe, Russia, Poland, and the Ukraine, through to working for a globally recognized household name. Shane's had a huge amount of international experience and is a real advocate when it comes to diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and thrilled to have him here on the show today with us to share a little bit more about his personal background, his unique idiosyncrasies, and, and what made him success, successful when it comes to being where he is today. Welcome to the show, Shane. Thank you very much and uh, look forward to having the chat. Thanks for being here. And um, just for our, our audience who perhaps doesn't know you as well as I've had the opportunity to do so, I wonder whether you could describe to us a little bit about the, the current circumstance, some of the projects that you're working on and how you came to, to be in the position that you are in these days. I guess starting with your first question with regards to the current circumstance, so we're obviously going through a very once in a generation period, as they call it. You know, we're going through this uh, pandemic, which is affecting everybody, all different businesses, all different industries. The business that we are in, the market research industry, it's having a big impact on our business as well, too. First and foremost, because, well, not all of our clients are business as usual. So that is slowing down how they are executing their business, maybe not conducting as many research programs as before. And then on the other side, how we actually execute our research. Most obvious forms that would be affected would be what we call face-to-face -face interviewing. So people that would be doing interviews in malls or door-to-door. -door. Obviously, that has all stopped with all of the, uh, all of the lockdowns, all of the isolation. But it's also a period where we're going through a lot of change. It's very interesting sometimes when you have change forced upon you that you have to move very, very quickly. So in some parts of the world where we would normally do a lot of face-to-face -face interviewing, maybe more where we'd be working for, uh, for doing governmental research or we would be doing work in developing markets, that we've put a big effort to moving a lot of that to online research. Interestingly, we have some feedback that our participation rates, response rates from people that we're interviewing are up. Because why? Because people are at home, they have a little bit more time. We're actually able to interview some professionals that would be more difficult to reach. So it might even sound surprising, but in the healthcare industry, obviously the healthcare industry, all of the doctors very busy, but there are some specialists where particular procedures are put on hold and some of these people are available to uh, to help us with we're trying to give information back to back to our clients but yeah it's a huge huge period of, of turmoil you know we, we we believe as one of the biggest market research companies you know if, if you just look at the news every day what's coming out it's all about data it's all about you know everybody's looking you know it's not very nice but you know what are the death rates what are the, the number of cases? 
And at the end of the day, that's, that's statistics that are coming back. And those, those statistics have to be accurate. Everybody's, you know, there's been a lot of questions about, you know, the, not so much the accuracy. Okay, maybe more in some countries than others. But, you know, what are those, what are those measures being measured over? You know, for example, in Ireland, they were reporting 71 deaths two days ago. But then they said that was over a period of three days, not over a period of one day. So, and the reason I'm saying this is, is that when we're all locked down in our homes, we're hungry for information and we're hungry for the right information, accurate information, because there's so much information out there. And for our clients, I think it's going to be, and our clients span all different industries, whether it be this consumer packaged goods, whether it be healthcare, automotive, high tech, everybody's looking for accurate information right now. And I think the best that we can do as an industry, market research industry, and as a company is to provide accurate, timely, fast information that can guide us in making decisions. Because you even look at what's going on, you know, at a, at a governmental level, the, the, the governments are our leaders, our elected leaders, most of them elected anyway, are relying on experts to govern how they make their decisions. You will see that, you know, whether it be prime ministers or presidents or whatever, they're relying on experts in healthcare, in virus control to help make probably some of the biggest decisions that are affecting, you know, a generation. You know, we've never had anything like this. So the, the reason I'm saying all of this is that information is so important because it guides our decision-making. That's where I think market research has a role to play. Not at the very center, but we have a role to play in all of that. Well, they say information is power, and it certainly is at this point in time, isn't it? Because ultimately, with all the uncertainty, it's very, very difficult, I think, for business leaders and for people in general to make decisions as to what to do next. And if we aren't looking at the data and we aren't looking at the market research, then very hard to to almost uh, make guided decisions as you say um yeah. but shane i wonder whether we could rewind the clock a little bit because okay. I, i'm very interested to know how you came to be where where, where you are i know that you studied in uh, over in ireland you did your degree there and, and actually set up your own business pre-working for uh, the household name that is Ipsos. Talk to me about yeah. how that happened because you've been across to America, you've been and traveled across many different countries and, and seen a lot of different things and, and kind of yeah. landed for a long time in Europe. And I, I think what was fascinating when we've spoken before is some of the international cultural pieces that you've experienced. Like most market researchers, I fell into market research. Very few people come out and university saying I want to be a market researcher and that doesn't mean I'm not putting down the industry by any means it's just most people they will they kind of fall into market research so how I ended up doing so I'd uh, studied a bachelor of science in, um, in business in Dublin Trinity College uh, in Trinity College yeah then I as was the time when I came out of university there was very high unemployment even higher than what they're predicting for next year, you know, or this year, you know, which is terrible. You know, it'd be very interesting to see what will go on in all of the different countries with the high unemployment rates. Anyway, it was normal. And, and back then in Ireland to have most of the educated people, they emigrated. So I went, I, I went to the States and I was in uh, Washington, D.C. And I took up a part-time job while I was looking for a full-time job. 
and that part-time job was working in a market research agency doing what they call coding, which is essentially you're going through all the questionnaires of open-ended responses and putting them together in a, an, understa an understandable manner. Anyway, I was, I was doing that as a part-time job and then the owner of the agency, a guy called Dr. John Wolfel, a small agency, offered me a full-time job. So that's how I came into market research. It was a great starting place because it was a, a small agency of 25, 26 people. He was what I consider, I've met a lot of market researchers, probably one of the best market researchers that I've ever come across. A PhD from Michigan in sociology. That's where a lot of the top researchers would come from in, in, in the States. And he believed in knowing all of the basics. So if you... I had to go back and restudy a lot of stuff that I'd studied in university that I thought I'd never used, a lot of statistical methods. I was not allowed in front of a client until I could be able to explain things like regression on paper, perceptual mapping, a lot of scientific stuff, you know, statistical methods. But it was, it was great training because it got you, you know, on the basics. I spent six years there. Then I had an opportunity you want to talk about life decisions. I had two offers at the time. One was to work for one of the big telcos overseeing their division in the Caribbean. And then I had another offer, which I didn't know what to do with, but sounded very interest interesting, which was to start a business in Russia. That was back in 1994. The wall had just fallen. Market research didn't exist in Russia. However, there were a huge number of sociologists and statisticians or whatever. So anyway, I... I want to talk about decision making I had one week to make up my mind as to what I was going to do that week is probably one of the most important weeks of my life when I look back on it because life is all about the decisions that you take at any particular point in time I didn't know anything about Russia I didn't speak Russian I still don't by the way but I decided it was it was a chance and it was an adventure and it was you know it was like okay let's let's throw everything up in the air but I also had ambitions at the time to be honest to be an entrepreneur and I was very lucky that I was put in contact through some friends with the global CEO of Citibank at the time. And he had just started business in, in Russia. People who knew him put me in contact with him. And I'll never forget speaking to him on a Sunday night. And he says, well, if I was a young man trying to make up my mind what I was trying to do, and if you have any ambitions to be an entrepreneur or be a millionaire, go to Russia. That's the place to go. But it was, I don't know, I was very lucky that somebody knew the global CEO, Citibank, and he gave me, you know, 15 minutes of his time on a Sunday evening. You know, was he right or wrong? I didn't know who the guy was, but, you know, you certainly listen to somebody like that. I look back on it, and it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. Anyways, I had moved with an American company in 1994. Then I saw the opportunity to start my own business, F Squared, together with a partner, Michael Fodor, so it was Fodor and Farrell, that's where the F squared came from. We opened doors on April 1st, 1997, and we always said April 1 was our, our favorite date to do that because uh, we didn't want to take ourselves too seriously. We wanted to take the business serious. We built the business up, but after one year, we had a crisis in 1998. We had to make a decision, do we go back home or do we, do we keep going? decided to keep going. I, I look at this crisis now and I, I compare that with what we did back then. That crisis lasted for over a year and that's where people I think need to understand today that this crisis is not going to be over, you know, the middle of May when we open the, the lockdown. It, it's going to go on for a year. If you want to get through a crisis, you've got to have a long-term plan. Anyway, 
2002, 2005, we sold the business to, uh, to Ipsos. I've been with Ipsos ever since. I was looking after their Central Eastern European business. For EMEA, now looking after Europe, I've had a number of different jobs. So yeah, I've I've spent I spent a good number of years, spent about eight years in Russia, and I spent about eight years in the States. That is such a fascinating story, and I think what's brilliant is you've demonstrated that power of connections. Uh, I say this to to many execs and even aspiring leaders as well: is never underestimate the power of the network and the power of a conversation or a coffee. You never know where yeah. it will lead. And I know this is an exceptional uh, example whereby it led off to great things, your own business, and then obviously uh, selling that to Ipsos, which is just an amazing story. And I'm sure one that many people dream of, but it, uh, it is really quite remarkable. And also, um, ju just quickly, on, on, on the subject of market research and this being a great career, I've seen many individuals, many of your colleagues who have fantastic international careers coming from market research. Yeah, I don't see huge amounts of, of advertisements for individuals or youngsters thinking, hey, I want to be in market research. But it seems to me to be a career that really does give a huge amount of worldwide opportunities. That's true. I, I think the industry would be, it's gaining some more exposure than it used to have. We used to be the guys and girls that we were locked in the back room and all of the, 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 the colorful, creative ad agency guys and girls they were the ones that were out front you know when that were taking the, the the front page of the news as it were in the marketing world i think it's changing a little bit now because you've got data now is at the very core of everything market research i think is needed more now than ever i think we could probably do a better job as an industry in promoting itself in terms of encouraging people to take it on as a career, maybe joining up with the universities a little bit mm. more. It, it, it is a science. You need to have training in it. You need to know about statistics. You need to know about sociology. You need to know about behavioral areas. And, and, and the whole, it, it's growing in so many different areas, you know, whether it be behavioral science, or now we've got social intelligence, you know, social media tracking and so forth, quite technical. It spans a lot of different areas. It's quite global, I would say, as well, too. It doesn't have to be as much on the ground as it used to because you can do so much more remotely now, obviously through online interviewing, through mobile interviewing, through social media tracking and so forth. But the, the industry follows the clients, you know, at the end of the day. You know, if, if I look at, you know, the, the big clients that, that we work with, you know, we, we work with... All the big CPG companies, whether it be the Unilevers, the Nestle's, Google, Facebook, and so forth. And all those companies are, they're global companies and they want to have global information. And that's where they need companies to be able to give them that global insight together. People who are able to, I don't know if people are able to speak globally, but at least to be able to speak across multiple countries, regionally. Ultimately, they want people to be able to speak globally, but information is getting transferred at a global rate now. So it's, if you're not able to do that, you know, you're, you're limiting your, your offering to your clients.
So in summary, there's been some real seismic shifts from when you started in market research and there being a huge amount, probably door to door, face to face, um, looking at high volume traffic of people and and collecting data that way through to now uh, working with global organizations and being very online and very digital savvy. Actually, this is a great industry for hopefully the youth, is it not? I'd say the changes that market research have gone through in the past five years or more than the industry has gone through in the past 50 years. But it needs to change. And it's probably been a little bit slow to change. But what I would say is that the science behind it, the statistics, the knowledge, still remains at core important. So what has changed? The means of data collection, the means of one of the most important approaches that companies are looking for now is multiple data sets. So you've got your internal data, you've got external data, you've got social data. They need companies to be able to help them pull all of that together. Of course, there are platforms that help to do that. But then at the end of the day, you still need people to be able to join all, join all of the dots. I know when we would work for companies like, like Google, who have more information than probably any company out there, they still and I think they come to companies like Ipsos for two reasons. One is that Google is founded as on, on science, you know, a few, couple of guys who are, you know, data scientists at the end of the day, engineers, and they appreciate people who also have that knowledge because you're not just born with it. You need to be educated in it. And then to be able to interpret the information. And while, you know, huge advances have been made, in terms of you know algorithms and so forth and pulling information together, they still need people to help put that story together afterwards or to help pull together different pieces of information to put the story together. That makes absolute sense and it's very intriguing. And for those who are listening in, if you're not a seasoned executive but you're midway through your career or you're deciding what you want to do, nothing more than that summary there you know, absolutely says data science and algorithms, all that stuff is now, it's, it's a lot sexier than it used to be. It should be a lot more attractive to, to the youth. So if you want to get in to market research or, or data capture, it's a great industry, an absolutely fascinating industry, as Shana said. And I just think, um, you know, as you've mentioned there, Shana, it is one of the industries that we've seen such incredible seismic changes happening. And I think it will be the foundation on which our future is built on, ultimately. I hope. <laughs> yeah. Now, there's still a lot more to go. I think the industry still, well, to, to give you a, an overview, lots of other industries are now entering into the market research industry. So you've got a lot of consulting companies mm, that are coming yes, in. Indeed, you've indeed. got a lot of data only companies that are entering, you know, like platforms. The industry is, is going through a huge change in that it is being expanded because it's including all different areas, but it's also getting a lot more competitive. And then let's face it, you know, a lot of the traditional big spenders in, on market research the past number of years with the CPG companies, a lot of those companies were very challenged over the past five or six years, you know, where their budgets were cut because they weren't saying they were not growing at maybe the same rate. You know, five, six years ago, everybody was going global and everybody was growing at a steady, you know, five, 10% per annum. And then boom, the whole world changed, you know, and companies suddenly were only growing at about maybe 
3%. And there's a big difference between growing at three versus five to 10. And because of that, you know, that cut back on some budgets, but then we have new companies, the likes of Google and, and, and Facebook that, you know, need huge amounts of help with, with their information as well too. And they're beginning to fill the void of maybe where some of the more traditional companies used to be at the forefront. Interesting. And before we run out of time, Shane, I, I must ask, because I know that you're a real advocate of diversity and inclusion and belonging. And we've spoken before and, and ended up discussing gender diversity and cultural diversity. And I wonder whether you could talk to me very briefly before we get into the lightning round, just about some of the experiences that you've had when it comes to uh, diverse teams and the benefits, I guess, of, of diverse teams, having worked a lot within Europe and the, the cultural differences within different areas of, of Europe and indeed Russia. You mentioned there it was just after um, you know everything that happened with the wall. I'd love to explore um, some of your your cultural experiences over the time. Yeah, I, I think um, well, when we talk about di diversity, diversity can mean a lot of a lot of different things. I know it's a, there's a, there's a push on within Ipsos as there are across a number of different companies, obviously, to make sure that there's more of a a gender balance, especially at the, at the more senior level. If I look at the area that I oversee within Europe, Eastern Europe is actually a, a good role model for what we're, we're doing there. Large number, if not the majority of our managers are, are, are female, our country managers, our managing directors are female, and they are very successful businesses as well too. So they're not just average businesses. I'd say some of them are, are, are some of our highest performing businesses. They produce very high growth, they produce very high profits. How that came to be, I think, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not a historian, but I think if you look back over communist times, there was maybe more of an acceptance of, uh, of females within the, within the workforce. And then sadly, when the wall came down, it was very tough on the change in society. And I think maybe the females were the stronger of the two genders and they were able to deal with those changes a little bit more than, than the males. And maybe also there's been a bit of a tradition of a higher percentage of females within our, our industry anyway. But if I look at our business in Russia, female managing director, Ukraine, female managing director, Poland, female managing director, Romania, female managing director. A lot of our big businesses across Eastern Europe not just in Eastern Europe, Western Europe as well too, in Norway, so forth. Okay, that's one side, maybe uh, gender. But I don't know, we have, and, and especially during these times where we're all in contact with each other, be it through Zoom or, or, or Microsoft Teams or whatever. I, I don't know, I, I, just, I just get the feeling gender and, and uh, nationality goes out the door. It, it, nobody cares. At the end of the day, the most important thing is whether you can perform or not. Are you able to do the job? And the people, I don't think, I don't think nationality is, certainly when you're dealing at a global level, certainly within Ipsos is, a, is, an, important, is an important factor. And I think that's a great thing. The more that we can promote that. I think the better and just you know to hold it up as here are businesses that are successful and you, you, of course we should have equality but it's not having equality for equality's sake you know it, it, it's it's just the right thing to do because you you know half the world is equal genders or whatever and, and why should it be skewed 
otherwise. And then I think in terms of international mobility as well, too, I think it's important that it's based on what their success is, not, not what their nationality background is as well, too. Indeed. And it could be a great spearhead for metocracy, really, having this capability now where almost everyone can communicate digitally and online. And so those that are, I mean, taking parenting just as an example and flexible working, it makes it far more easier. So uh, I think we could see um, some real great shifts in in what you've said there when it comes to equality and the fact that people are caring less, because frankly, if you're behind a screen or, or behind a laptop and know who really cares as long as the work is getting done and hopefully the world starts to really see that those businesses who might have been in archaic ways of working that insist on being tied to a desk yeah. nine to five it is mm-hmm. not necessary and if we can survive through this time then perhaps mm-hmm. there can be some great changes in the future yeah yeah uh, but Shane, just uh, just before we go, I'd love to just go into a very quick lightning round. I know that you're super busy and I am keeping you here. No, it's okay. um, but a couple of last questions that I had. Um, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to answer each, if that's okay, because I could talk to you forever and a day about culture. And I'll have to get you on another podcast now to talk about culture uh, in Europe, because I, it's, it's just so fascinating, um, that as a subject and, uh, and, and how geopolitics, all this kind of stuff. Anyhow, lightning round. 30 seconds per question. What does diversity and inclusion mean to you personally? That you go in with an open mind and it's down to how successful the person performs the job. It's just, it's an open, open open-mindedness and then it's up to the individual to, to, to prove themselves. Indeed. And how about your secret to success, if there is one? Yeah, I'm not sure I consider myself a highly successful person. (laughs) I, I don't know. Like if you if you think about mantras, I don't know, take take a chance, but only do so if you're ready to persevere. Because if you're not ready to persevere, taking a chance is you know it's gambling, right? Well said. There is a fair bit of gambling when it comes to entrepreneurship, I think, and it sounds like you definitely took a, a couple of uh, risks in the early days. I know for days, sure. No, I would. Uh, I know I would agree with that, but I think it's you've got to be ready to persevere as well too because you know okay some people get lucky but i i guess it's just with hindsight like if you're going to take that chance take that chance with in mind that you're going to have to put in a lot of work a lot of hard work behind it and if that's what you want to do then it comes down to is this what you want to do then you'll happily persevere perseverance is is a very very key skill to have they say tough times don't last but tough people do and whether it's building a business or or being in the world of business in general i think you definitely need to have that yeah also who's been the biggest who's been the biggest inspiration when it comes to your career or indeed personal life to date i don't know maybe my father i don't know i i i i I, I don't go around with like big heroes or whatever I, I think heroes are maybe too influenced by idols and celebrity and all that kind of stuff and I, I don't know my, my father is uh, is a guy that i would hi, hold up in high regard you know bright guy but had a very well-rounded life you know in addition to his job and his family had his hobbies you know it's like sad as the man or the woman that doesn't have a hobby as well too so I, I think maybe the first guy that I worked for in Washington because he was a brilliant researcher. My former business partner, I would call him an inspiration because we were partners. If, if partners can't inspire each other, it's not a good partnership. 
Ipsos CEO, D.A. Trouchot. You know, he took it from a two-person company up to 18,000 employees today. So, wow. you know, he's, he, he's an inspiring guy. They'd be some of the people that I would think about. But, you know, I don't think in terms of the Jack Welch's. I don't know Jack Welch and what he's about. I don't know what the celebrity is behind all of that. I think about people that are actually new. You know, they, they say that, you know, heroes, you know, daily daily heroes would, would be ones I would consider more. I love that. That's a great answer. And I love how you kept thinking of other people as you started. You're like, nope, and then started thinking of others. And finally, before I let you go, I wonder if you could go back in time, Shane, and you were to give the, the young Shane advice back when you were at Trinity College in Ireland all those years ago, whether there would be any specific advice that you would give to yourself or indeed anyone who's starting out on their career journey and listening in right now. Don't be afraid to have confidence in yourself, I guess. You know, it's very easy to look around and think everybody else knows it better or other people know better. So trust your gut, trust your, you know, billions of years of evolution. And when the hairs go up in the back of your neck, they, they go up for a reason and to trust it, to trust them. And then maybe to have confidence in that, that's not to second guess yourself too much, that. It's not all going to go right. Things will go wrong as well, too. But, you know, if, if it feels right and it's what you want to do, that's, that's over 60% of it, I think. Thank you so much, Shane. It's been brilliant having you on the show. I really, really appreciate it because I know that you don't do lots and lots of interviews like this. Um, <laughs> so I do, I do appreciate you taking the time, honestly. It's been brilliant having you today. And, and I know there'll be many people who are listening in who are hopefully really enthused now when it comes to a career in market research. Thanks so much, Shane, for being here with us today. Uh, lots of learning points there. And if you didn't catch them all, you can make sure that uh, you can catch up online. We'll make sure all the show notes are there. Some of the key pieces for me were very much uh, around the fact that the data and market research has been through a seismic shift when it comes to how we now operate in the global marketplace. And this is a really brilliant career for those that are perhaps going into uh, fresh into their careers. A um, huge amount of opportunities that Shane has spoken through there. And, and also the fact that, uh, that diversity when it comes to gender parity is absolutely critical. Gender uh, balance is, is a 50-50 or there or thereabouts uh, split of the world's population. And so let's embrace and harness the fact that we are now in a very digital world and we are having the opportunity to connect now in a very, very different way. And so hopefully uh, we, can, we can look to utilize this to broaden our teams and to really harness the power of diversity and inclusion. You've been listening to the Diverse and Inclusive Leaders podcast show. I'm Leila McKenzie-Dellis, and we're with you every week. Check us out online at www.dalglobal.org. Thanks for listening.